throttling up, three engines now at 104%. Challenger, go with throttle up. Challenger, go with throttle up. One minute, 15 seconds. Velocity, 2,900 feet per second. Altitude, nine nautical miles. Downrange distance, seven nautical miles. I would rate that as one of the biggest ones that I was ever part of. Certainly, probably the biggest, probably the biggest. Um, I had been a part of several accident and incident investigations while at NASA. Um, I had been, I had been deposed to testify in an F-14 crash case uh, when I was when I was in the Navy, active duty in the Navy. But yeah, the Challenger investigation was probably the biggest one that I ever did, and and it was huge because the the whole world was watching. What would you like to have the average person understand and know about the importance of the shuttle program and how do you view its legacy? Gee, that is a big topic because, because there's, there's so much that happened in the shuttle program, in the space shuttle program, that had never happened before. And we flew, for example, so many more people. And prior to shuttle... Another thing that gets pointed out uh, very frequently is that it had been all white males that flew on the thing. And, of course, that changed dramatically right away with the space shuttle program. But beyond that, there was so very much that we did. The things that we did, and it's a real testament to the, the people that designed the space shuttle and put in place the capabilities and the things that it could do, that made it such an incredibly versatile vehicle. And over the course of its history, just look at what we did. We carried large payloads up into space. It was the space shuttle that enabled us to build the International Space Station. The space shuttle that enabled us to launch the Hubble Space Telescope. And all of these very large satellites that we that we put up into orbit couldn't have been done without a big vehicle like that that could shuttle cargo up to space and bring things back as well. So for the first time, we brought wounded satellites back down to Earth, had them refurbished, and then took them back to space. Not always back to space on the space shuttle, sometimes on an expendable rocket. But we accomplished all of those things. We also accomplished repairing satellites in place up in orbit. And we, re we repaired a number of broken satellites that otherwise would have been total failures from the point at which some, some sometimes little thing that went wrong meant that it couldn't do its intended job. And so we, we, we did all those things. We also flew many more people than had ever been to space. And here's an interesting statistic. The space shuttle launched 135 times. Our entire American space program prior to the shuttle 
Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, Apollo Soyuz, and Skylab amounted to a grand total of 31 launches. So Shuttle really rewrote the book on space. It really rewrote the book on here's what you can do with space. Uh, because we, we went up and we grappled satellites, we pulled them over in the cargo bay, repaired them, grabbed them with the robot arm, and put them back out again. So just accomplished so very many things. Uh, over, over the top of all of this, we, we, we wound up developing new capabilities, new things like digital cameras came about, not because of Space Shuttle, but I saw those evolve at about the same time that we were doing all these, all these interesting things with, uh, with the space shuttle. And so just by getting so much more time in space, so much more time on orbit, we were able to develop other capabilities. We, uh, we took global positioning system or GPS operations into, into space. And so it accomplished, I think, way more even than the original designers expected that it would. Do you think large numbers of, of uh, Earthlings will live in space in the future? I don't know that it will be large numbers because it's always going to be kind of expensive to get there. Even if, even if we cut the price of it in half, well, half wouldn't be enough. Cut it in a quarter. I don't know. Cut it in a tenth. We might be able to accomplish more people being in space. I I don't know I don't know where we're going to put them if we if our goal was to put a whole lot of people up there we don't have a an earth like environment anywhere in the solar system that we could that we could possibly go to earth is going to be it uh but we are looking already at putting a base on the moon and operating from there and we want to send Americans to Mars now, if we saw the movie The Martian, it's going to take a while to do that, and there's going to have to be an awful lot of infrastructure in place to be able to safely do that and risk human lives uh, to send them to Mars. So that might take us a while to get to that point, but it's, it's an evolution, and it's going to keep going on, and... Uh, but again, I don't know that we're ever going to colonize Mars. Um, we would have to adapt an awful lot. I, I, I don't see how we could possibly build an atmosphere on Mars. Mars has 1% of Earth's atmosphere, 1% of the pressure, 1% of the atmospheric constituent, but of course, most of it's carbon dioxide. And so I don't know how we're going to colonize Mars, although we hear... We hear talk that says we're, we're going to build we're going to build a colony on Mars and we're going to populate Mars. I, I I can't see that happening just right now. If we were able to ever have a base on the moon and could launch vehicles from the moon, how much easier is it to launch into space if you don't have to break the bonds of the Earth's atmosphere? If you're already up there, it's Earth's gravity and Earth's atmosphere that are the two big challenges that you have to overcome getting getting off the planet and and back onto the planet as well the moon no atmosphere at all and just one-sixth of earth's gravity you don't need nearly as much thrust or as much fuel or as much power to launch missions from a mars base which that 
that might get to be one of the purposes of a Mars base, of a moon base. I keep saying Mars. If we can figure out how to generate rocket fuel from lunar soil, from the soil on the moon, and the belief is out there that there's a lot of oxidizer in the, in the surface of, of the moon, if we could, and if there's as much water as, as we think we're seeing, on the moon, and of course, water we can break that down into hydrogen and oxygen. That's called rocket fuel. And uh, if if we can do all those things, then it might be that that the moon would be a waypoint uh, on our way to Mars. Uh, I, I kind of don't know how to ask this, so I'll just ask it. Do you miss space? I mean, I, I must be kind of like business travel. Yeah, you, you weren't on a vacation. You didn't have time to ruminate and look out the window, but. Uh, do you, do you ever say, gosh, I'm not going back, and I wish I could, or anything like that? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. I have the dreams all the time where I'm in orbit or I'm flying a reentry and coming back to land, and sometimes sometimes they're weird dreams. Sometimes, sometimes I land at a small airport somewhere. I don't land at Cape Canaveral. I don't land out at Edwards Air Force Base. Uh, I wound up going low during the reentry. And I had to land somewhere else. And then I remember in one of these dreams, I pulled my cell phone out and I'm trying to remember Mission Control's cell phone number or telephone number on my cell phone. So I still have dreams about it. And I have dreams about what it was like when you first got there on your second mission and your third mission. And you found yourself saying, wow, it's great to be back. It's really great to be back there. I would have been happy to stay and fly some more missions because it is something you don't ever get tired of. Um, but it was time, really it was time for me to get out of the way. I had commanded four missions. I was the pers first person to command four missions on the space shuttle. And I had my turn, five flights all together. Time for me to get out of the way and give the younger people a turn. So I didn't leave because I was tired of it, because I certainly was not tired of it. And would I like to go back? Yes, for a while I was working as the uh, chief pilot for an outfit that was, that was competing to do the cargo hauling and people hauling up to the International Space Station and back. They didn't win the contract, but if they had won the contract, I would have been their chief astronaut. So it wasn't like I was tired of going. I wasn't. And would have would have loved to go back. Still would love to go back. Maybe something like Space Cowboys will happen, and they they'll need <laughs> they'll need a bunch of old astronauts uh, to go do that. You know, I, I guess another thing that has been part of your life is is the things you've done have intersected with a lot of historically significant things. And what I mean by that is even investigating the Challenger. Um, obviously the docking with Mir, um, some of the litigation things you've, you've been uh, testified at or been part of. Uh, I guess I'd like to talk about a few of those. And, and maybe what do you, I mean, how, how do you pick one historically significant moment out of all that you've done? But um, would it be the, the investigation of the Challenger was your first focus on something that the whole world was watching? It, 
it certainly was was one of the larger things that I was part of in terms of a, in terms of a size of an investigation. Yeah. How would you rate rate those those historically significant moments? Never mind what I'm asking. What? How would you rate them? Well, I I would rate that as one of the biggest ones that I was ever part of. Certainly, probably the biggest. Probably the biggest. Um, I had been a part of several accident and incident incident investigations while at NASA. Um, I had been I had been deposed to testify in an F fourteen crash case uh, when I was when I was in the Navy, active duty in the Navy. And so I had had a little bit of experience in investigations and in flight testing to determine, okay, what happened here? What went wrong? Uh, how can we, how can we equip our aviators to handle something like this if it ever happens in the future? But really, I hadn't really thought about it in the, the way that you posed the question. But yeah, the Challenger investigation was probably the biggest one that I ever did. In July of 1982, after the landing of the fourth shuttle flight, President Reagan hailed the program's early promise. The test flights are over. The groundwork has been laid. And now we will move forward to capitalize on the tremendous potential offered by the ultimate frontier of space. Beginning with the next flight, the Columbia and her sister ships will be fully operational ready to provide economical and routine access to space for scientific exploration, commercial ventures, and for tasks related to the national security. For many within NASA, the president's confidence seemed premature. STS-26 commander Rick Houck was involved in the program from the beginning. I think that, um, that we, NASA, um, probably placed too much emphasis on how routine shuttle operations were becoming. I think to declare that the shuttle was operational and whatever that meant after four flights um, was simplistic. We pulled the ejection seats out of the machines and we said we are now an operational space vehicle. And I'm sure that everyone who was associated with flight tests or had any involvement with the development and deployment of a new aircraft or a new system must have smiled quite a bit because nothing can be that operational after just four flights. And in fact, nothing can be really very operational after 25 flights. And, and, and it was huge because the, the whole world was watching. And especially the media. You, you had to be very careful when you talk to the media. Well, you always have to be very careful when you talk to the media because they can take it the wrong way. And will. Very easily, and will. And sometimes, I suppose, they do that just to make a good story. But we we were working at a very unhappy, sad time. We had just lost seven astronauts. We had just, we had just stopped dead in our tracks in our space program. And for nearly three years, we didn't send anybody to space, where for the previous, the previous five years, we had been launching numerous astronauts to space. And, for example, 1985, I think we launched eight times in the year 1985. And we were going to launch eight or nine times in 1986. So, all of a sudden, we're not even sure that the space shuttle program is going to survive. 
And fortunately, fortunately, the president, President Reagan, was right behind us every bit of the way and said, we will rebuild, we will recover from this. And space is not easy. Space is difficult. Space is challenging. Space can be dangerous. And we will design and we will rebuild. And and we accomplished all that. We accomplished that because the United States stood behind it and said, we are going to fix this and we're going to persevere. And we certainly did because Challenger was the 25th launch. We went on to launch 110 more times. He might have 17, 16, 15, a commitment to say never die and don't quit and by golly we didn't we did not quit i guess we haven't really talked about did you have any uh involvement with the investigation of the second loss i I did not because at that point I had been away from NASA for, let's see, how many years would that be? That would be seven years I had been away from NASA at that point. I did get asked to come brief the, the CABE, the Columbia Accident Investigation Board. There's that NASA acronym again, C-A-I-B. Well, we have gotten to space without acronyms, <laughs> and how do you remember them all? <laughs> I, well, yeah, mostly I remember them, but uh, no, I don't think we could have done that because all of our checklists would have weighed too much, but, you know, we can say RMS activation, you know, uh, instead of remote manipulator system activation and all that, but... I did get asked to come brief them, and, and it was a little bit odd, John, because I, I got called by uh, one of the assistants to the board that said, hey, Admiral Gaiman has asked if you would come brief them. And I said, well, sure, I, I'd be happy to. What, what would he like me to brief them on? <laughs> and the answer was, well, whatever you'd like. And so I'm thinking, well, this, you know, this is a little bit unusual. So I, I did go brief the, the Columbia board, and I don't know that they had heard the story of my incident that occurred on STS-27, because it certainly seemed like they had never heard of it. And this was almost identical to what happened to Columbia. Only in our case, it was damaged tiles. It wasn't a hole in the leading edge of the wing uh, that that brought down Columbia, but it was but it was so very similar in many ways. During launch, you get hit by something and it causes you a problem. And so, I went to brief them, and this was somewhat earlier in the in the Columbia investigation. I don't think it had been concluded yet that that what happened was foam came loose, put a hole in the leading edge of the left wing. And so I had done uh, a point paper um, way back, 
Oh, golly, this would have been 1989. Columbia had a really hot reentry on STS-29, which was a classified Department of Defense mission. I don't think there was a whole lot of widespread news about it because, again, it was a it was a classified mission, just like my STS-27 was a classified mission. But they had had a really hot reentry on. I think it was the right wing. I guess it doesn't matter which wing. It was one of the wings had a lot of slumped tiles, which means tiles that were in the process of melting. So something had happened on the right wing of Columbia during reentry that maybe it was the left wing. In fact, I think it was the left wing because at the time we were questioning all these anomalies that we saw in the Columbia accident in the left wing. And it turns out that I had done an assessment when I worked as the chief of the safety branch for the astronaut corps to look at the smoothness or lack of smoothness of the tiles on the left wing. And there's a, there's a very tight specification called step and gap, how big the gap can be between the tiles and how big a step you can have from one tile to the next. And it's, it's, it's like a tenth of an inch or less that you can have. Say you have a tile here that's this level. You can't have more than a tenth of an inch on the next tile behind it sticking up or you will cause heating right there. And so I had done a an assessment of what was the step and gap. And it was, and it was a, a number that got generated called K equivalent, K-E-Q. I don't remember how it was calculated, but it took into account the gap and also the, the rise in the next tile and all those things. Turned out Columbia had the bumpiest wings of any orbiter. And so this was before we figured out that a foam block had hit the leading edge of the wing. So I had done, I had done an assessment of that. And what they told me was that after after that STS-29 reentry, they had, or no, I'm sorry, it was STS-28. If I said 29 earlier, it was actually 28. Yeah. Okay, it was 28. That afterwards, they had smoothed out a lot of those tiles. And so the topic was, okay, could uneven wings have caused the Columbia accident? And so I briefed them on that, although... Although by the time I briefed them, we had figured out that it was a foam impact on the leading edge of the wing. But I also briefed them on the whole story of STS-27 and the fact that we had 770 damaged tiles. And I told my whole story. Uh, they asked a number of questions. And then, and then at the end of everything, uh, just, just like the Joint Chiefs in a way, Admiral Gaiman said, all right, well, do we have, do we have any more questions for Hoot? And there weren't any more questions for me. And Admiral Gaiman said, well, ladies and gentlemen, we've been listening to the luckiest man alive. Meaning that we had survived the STS-27 reentry with all that tile damage. And so after the Columbia accident, I'm told that there was a reinvigoration of looking at, is there a way that we can make tile repairs on orbit? And I think they had developed a little bit of a capability to fill gaps and to fill, fill up a hole where a tile might be missing. And uh, at, at least did that for 
to cover us for the remainder of the space shuttle program. <laughs>